So last week, we looked at, day, at uh, Jesus having an exchange with the Pharisees, and he had been asked questions throughout that whole section in Luke chapter 20, and he turns the tables and asks them a question, and his question is, how is it that the Messiah can be David's son, but also be David's Lord? And this would have shaken the theology of the religious leaders because they pictured a political leader like David. And so the king, the Messiah they were looking for, was political. And he was not a savior in the sense of reconciling us to God because they had the law and they had the temple. And who needs that when you have all of these things? So... What we talked about last week was that David's son was David's God. And I thought this might be a good week to do a deeper dive into the subject of the deity of Christ. Understanding the person and nature of Jesus is of vital importance. It is essential for salvation. And because of this, the person of Jesus is constantly under attack. Every generation will produce heresies that will attack the person of Jesus and make him something other than the one who can save you from your sins. You may think Jesus is great. He may be your favorite ancient philosopher. He might be your favorite uh, spiritual teacher. He might be, in your mind, an ascended New Age master Or you might think he was merely a created being, but he's exalted and he's just like the angels, but he's very important. But if you have any of those views or a thousand other views and not the correct view, you cannot be saved. This is the vital question that the Bible answers. Who is Jesus? Now, this is a question that the church has been answering since very early on in the church age. In fact, if we go back to the early 300s, I had a feeling that wasn't going to work. There we are. To a man named Arius of Alexandria, he was a bishop and he was causing divisions among the churches because of what he taught about Jesus. He believed that the Son was a created being, He was not divine, He was not co-eternal with God the Father. In fact, there was a quote that he became famous for where he says, there was a time when the Son was not. And so Arius claimed that this title, the Son of God, is an honorary title, and that is to reflect a special grace that God has put on Jesus, but... He is not special in that he partakes of the divine nature. So, he is superior to the other creatures, but this does not mean that Jesus is God, that he is not of the same essence or of the same substance. And so he disseminated writings that taught this. In fact, there was even an ancient song that people used to sing that taught that particular doctrine. And the church had to do something about this. So this is the first major ecumenical council called Nicaea. They get together and they have a trial with Arius to discuss 
and to deliberate on what do the Scriptures teach about the nature of Christ. And so they deemed Arius a heretic in that council, and they even issued a creed, which we know today as the Nicene Creed. And notice the language here. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through Him all things were made. So they wanted to put this in writing. This is what Orthodox Christianity teaches, and the deity of Christ was the main subject at that council. And this is why creeds are very important, although there are some in our day who who like to think that it's more spiritual to not have any creeds or confessions, and they say things like, no creed but Christ. No creed but Christ. And that's the idea that doctrine is divisive, and so if we're all just led by the Holy Spirit, we don't need to have creeds, we don't need to have confessions, but that is patently false. Confessions and creeds are like an anchor uh, for the the Christian church. They, they, they ground us into what has the church always believed. In fact, if you ask a person, let's say you meet one of these folks who says, no creed but Christ, uh, you, the obvious question in response to that, well, who is Christ? And if they start to answer who Christ is, boom, there's your creed. <laughs> right? I mean... It sounds spiritual, but in reality, doctrine is absolutely necessary. If there are a thousand Jesuses masquerading as the true Christ in our world, how do you know who is the true one? Well, doctrine. And doctrine is often codified in creeds and confessions. So Arius was refuted at that council. He was excommunicated and branded a heretic. And the church confirmed its position in regard to the person of Christ. Now, if you're wondering, has this ancient heresy ever resurfaced? Yes, it has many different times. In fact, you will occasionally find people who propagate this error in our day who come to your door on Saturdays, and they are known as Jehovah's Witnesses. They publish a magazine called The Watchtower, and it usually... contains some kind of attack on Orthodox Christianity. I've studied this movement for many years. Their books and magazines rarely put forth their doctrine. What they usually do is try to dismantle sound doctrine. So there's, they're constantly attacking the church, constantly attacking the doctrines of the church, constantly attacking uh, the person of Christ who they say is just a man. So, this is Arianism for our generation. When you meet Jehovah's Witnesses and they talk about Jesus, they are talking about a created being who is just a man like you and me and nothing more. So, what I thought we could do this afternoon is just walk through the Scriptures and answer some of these vital questions that if Jesus was God, we would be able to answer in the affirmative. 
So questions like who is God, who is Lord, who is Savior, who is Creator, who forgives sins, who is the Alpha and the Omega, and several others. If you go through the Scripture and you have the statement over and over that there's only one true God, and yet you have more than one person who is called this true God, then you have to make the deduction that this person must also be God. So let me... We're going to look through a lot of Scriptures. Pay close attention. I'm going to try to do my best to explain it. Very famous Old Testament text as we answer the question, who is God? Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we talked last week, when you see capital L-O-R-D, we're talking about Yahweh. So for the sake of our conversation today, I'm going to say Yahweh instead of capital L-O-R-D. And here, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. That is called the Shema, and Jews repeat it to this day. Of course, they don't say Yahweh. But it's clear throughout Scripture. Psalm 103, Know that Yahweh, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. Deuteronomy 4.39 Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that, the, that, that Yahweh is God in heaven above, and on earth beneath, there is no other. So, this is an important point the Old Testament makes, that there are no other gods but Yahweh. Isaiah 43.10 You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen. Before me no god was formed, nor shall there be any after me. No other gods. Big G, little g. Isaiah 46.9 Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And then you read through the Old Testament and you find all these false gods. Asherah, Baal, Jemosh, Dagon, Milcom, Molech, Tammuz. Satan is called the false god, the god of this age. So the Old Testament is extremely clear. In the middle portions of Isaiah, in the 40s, over and over, there's no other god, there's no other god, there's no other god. And then you get to the New Testament, and what do you find out about Jesus? John, in his prologue to the Gospel, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. And then you drop down to verse 14, and you see the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Jesus. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses try to slither around that. And they came out with their own translation in 1950. In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. I have a document at home. It is a hundred English translations of John 1.1, and they are all pretty much the same. 
except the New World Translation put out by the Jehovah's Witnesses that says, A God. Okay, let's say that that's true. Here's a fun exercise you can do next time they come to your door. You can draw two circles on a piece of paper and label one true God and label the other one false gods and then give them a penny and say, this penny represents Jesus. Where do you put him? And they want to put him outside of those two. Uh, but, 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 but you can't do that. There's only two categories. There's Jehovah, the true God, and then all other gods are false. And you can take them to a few scriptures. Where do you put Jesus? Well, they're not going to say he's false, but they will not say that he's true. They will most likely try to change the subject. (laughs) How about when Jesus appeared after the resurrection and doubting Thomas answers Jesus in John 20, 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Literally in the Greek, he said to Jesus, you are the God of me and the Lord of me. Now, Jesus could have rebuked him there. Whoa, Thomas, you're taking this way too far. What do you... No, you know, what Thomas, you know what Jesus says to him? Blessed are you who have seen and believe. Blessed more are those who have not seen and yet believe. Romans 9.5. Paul says, To them, which is the Israelites, belong the patriarchs, And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So Jesus is called God. All right, who is Lord? We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about um, Adonai, which is the Hebrew title for God, Lord, and then the Greek is kurios, which is also Lord. So, Paul says in Acts 17.24, on Mars Hill, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He's talking to all those pagan idolaters, and he says, God is the Lord of heaven and earth. He says in Ephesians 4 and 5, 4, 4 verses 5 and 6 rather, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul, in writing to the church, says there's one Lord. And we know from the Old Testament that Yahweh is this Lord. For Yahweh your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. That was Deuteronomy 10.17. Psalm 73.28 But for me it is good to be near God. I have made, this is Yahweh Elohim, my refuge that I may tell of all your works. He is the Lord. I mean, I don't think I have to 
spend too much time arguing that. Lord, 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 everywhere you see it, with the capital L and lowercase rest of the word is talking about, obviously, the God of Israel. But then you get into the New Testament, and what do you find? You find Jesus being this Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is critical upon the point of you confessing that Jesus is this Lord. Revelation 17.14 They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Wait a second, Lord of Lords, I thought we heard that about Yahweh earlier in the Old Testament. We did. Or at Jesus' birth. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the Old Testament emphasis is that there's one Lord and it is Yahweh. And then the New Testament, all of a sudden we find Jesus bearing this title as Lord. Which takes us back to last week where Jesus said, answer me this question, why does David say the Lord said to my Lord? Because it's talking about this Messiah who is Jesus, who is God. All right, who does the Bible say is our Savior? Well, we know God. 1 Timothy 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Who's our Savior? God is our Savior. Luke 1.47, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 1 Timothy 2.3, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And then as Jude concludes his epistle, he says, to the only God our Savior. So clearly, God and Savior, you can put an equal sign between those two. But then you when you study the Old Testament, you find out that Yahweh is the Savior. I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. No Savior but Yahweh. Isaiah 45.21 And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. If there was a second Savior, would not God have said that? Isaiah 49.26 Then all flesh shall know that I am Yahweh your Savior. Hosea 13.4 But I am Yahweh your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. Then in the New Testament, you have all of these references to Jesus as being this Savior. 
Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are awaiting a Savior from heaven and it's Jesus. Wait a second. All those 40, in the chapters of the 40s of Isaiah, he says over and over, there's no Savior but me. No Savior but Yahweh. But we're waiting for a Savior from heaven and it's not Yahweh, it's Jesus? 2 Peter 1.11, he says the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There you have both titles. 2 Timothy 1.10, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Titus, man, Titus is full of Savior talk. Here's how the letter starts. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And if you look at the list, you've got God's our Savior, God's our Savior, God's our Savior. Yahweh alone is our Savior. There's no Savior but Yahweh. And you compare that with the other list that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the one we are waiting for. Over and over, Paul uses the language, especially in his introductions, about Jesus Christ as our Savior. In Titus, if you read through the letter, he goes back and forth. He calls God our Savior and then Jesus our Savior. And then God our Savior and then Jesus our Savior. All right, well, if Jesus is God... Who is our creator? Well, God is our creator. Genesis 1.1, that's how the whole thing starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The prophet Malachi, preaching to his people Israel, says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Paul in Ephesians 3.9, he says, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You're not learning anything new right now, right? You meet someone on the street. Who made you? Well, God made me. Of course. But the Old Testament makes a point. That Yahweh is this creator. Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am Yahweh who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Notice the very exclusive language. That's going to be important in a minute or two. This means there's no junior partners. He did not cooperate with another God to create everything. He did it by himself and he wants you to know that. 48, Isaiah 48:13, "My hand, this is God, my hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens." That's Yahweh saying that. "My hand. 
Psalm 102.25, speaking of Yahweh, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. This is talking about Yahweh. Notice that language. Creation's going to wear out like a garment. He's going to change it like a robe. It's all going to pass away, but Yahweh's going to remain forever. And then you get to the New Testament, and the writer of Hebrews applies that to Jesus. Listen to this, Hebrews 1.10. And of the Son, God says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of Your hands. The writer to the Hebrews is writing to prove that Jesus is better than their Old Testament system. And he takes this psalm that's about Yahweh the Creator and he applies it saying it was Jesus. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, Jesus, and your years will have no end. How can he do that? That's blasphemy. Unless Jesus is this God. Paul in Colossians speaking about Jesus, he says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. But in the Old Testament, we saw in Isaiah, he said he, God, Yahweh said He did it by Himself. By Himself. His hands created. Now how do the Jehovah's Witnesses get around this? They change this and they put other in, in between all and things. So it reads, all other things. By Him all other things were created in heaven and earth, etc., etc. All other things were created through Him and for Him. And they have to do that because if it says what the Greek says, all things, that means Jesus cannot be a created being if He is the Creator. And you start to look at some of these texts side by side. What does it say about God and Yahweh as the Creator? And then what does it say about Jesus as the Creator? And you have Jesus being presented as the Creator God in the New Testament. Well, who forgives sins? That's a good question. If Jesus is God... Because we know God forgives sins. Isaiah 43.25 Yahweh says, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Psalm 32.5 The psalmist says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
Everyone knows that God is the only one who can forgive sins. Angels can't forgive sins. Created beings can't forgive sins. In Mark 2.7, the religious leaders say, Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, Jesus can forgive sins. Mark 2.5, And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. <coughs> Luke 7.48 and 49, He said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with Him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? All right, whose name saves? In whose name are we saved? The name of God is a big deal in the Old Testament. Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh our God. Psalm 54, 1, O God, save me by Your name. And vindicate me by your might. Joel 2.32 And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh. According to the prophet Joel. But then you get into the New Testament. And these things are applied to Jesus. Listen what it says in Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now imagine you're a Jew hearing these Gospel preachers saying that. What do you mean? The name of Jesus. Acts 10.43 To Jesus, to Him, all the prophets bear witness that through everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. There's the forgiveness of sins again. And it's the name of Jesus. What changed here? Or John 1.12, But to all who did receive Him, speaking about Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. How is one saved? How does one enter into fellowship with God? It is through Jesus. It is calling upon His name. Who is the first and last? In the Old Testament, it is Yahweh. Isaiah 44, 6, Yahweh said, uh, Thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts. That's interesting. Two Yahwehs in that sentence. I am the first and I am the last. Isaiah 48.12 Listen to me, O Jacob, 
and Israel whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. This means God is the beginning and he is the end. He inhabits eternity. He is the start and he is the finish of everything. It's all him. But then you get into the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, John writes in Revelation 1.17, When I saw him, that is Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. I am the first and the last? Well, there's no question as to who's speaking here. He says he, was die, he died and he's alive again. So Jesus is claiming to be this first and last, who we know from the Old Testament is given to God. A statement about God. Revelation 2.8, And the angel of the church in Smyrna, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Two firsts and lasts? Similarly, who is the Alpha and the Omega? This is like who is the A to Z? Well, God is. Revelation 1.8, this is God speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. But then in that same book, at the end, Revelation 22.12 and 13, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus said those things about himself. Just a few more. Who knows men's hearts? Well, God, of course, Jehovah, Yahweh. 1 Kings 8.39, this is Solomon praying in front of the temple when they were uh, making sacrifices and praying. And he said, Hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. You alone, God. Acts one twenty four. they prayed, the disciples prayed to God. They said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. That's when they were deciding on a replacement for Judas. And then, of course, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you remember Matthew 9.4, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Revelation 2.23, Jesus said, And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So who knows men's hearts? Old Testament, Yahweh, slash God, New Testament, Jesus. 
who is the shepherd? Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd, according to Psalm 23. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Yahweh will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So this imagery of the God of Israel being their shepherd would have been very well known to them. And then what is Jesus whoops. What is Jesus come proclaiming? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Got two good shepherds? Is Jesus almighty? Sorry, who receives worship? I skipped something. Who receives worship? Yahweh. God receives worship. Jesus says in Matthew 4.10, Worship the Lord your God only. And Him only. Quoting Deuteronomy. But then in the New Testament, you have the Magi worshiping Christ. You have the disciples worshiping Jesus. You have the Marys. You have the eleven disciples. You have the man whom Jesus healed. You have the angels worshiping Him. And in Revelation, the centerpiece of that book, chapters 4 and 5, you have myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping Jesus. Read through the Old Testament. God requires worship of Him alone. It's in the commandments. First two commandments. Who is Jesus? He is Almighty. Hebrews 1.3 says that He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He is omnipresent. Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's talking to us. How can He be with us always? How can He be with us here? And how can He be in Brazil? And how can He be in Australia? And how can He be in China? Jesus receives prayer. He says to His disciples, if you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. That was for those who were in His presence and that is for us also. Acts 7.59, they were stoning Stephen, the first martyr in the book of Acts. Who does he cry out to as his habit of prayer? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Just a few other mentions. The church comes together in Jesus' name. Healing comes in Jesus' name. Signs come in Jesus' name. Demons are subject to Jesus' name. He is the judge of mankind. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is David's Son and He is David's Lord. You remember 
after Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen, he appeared to those men on the road to Emmaus. And those men are walking, and they are sad. And they're thinking, we thought he was going to be the one. They don't know that he rose from the dead. Here was their king, their Messiah, and they executed him publicly, and they thought that was it. And Jesus, resurrected, joins them along the road, and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? And they say, Have you not, uh, are you not from around here, dude? Like, didn't you hear about Jesus? We thought he was our master and our Messiah, and they killed him. And Jesus responds to them and says, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the scriptures. Moses, that's Genesis. The prophets, that's all the way to Malachi. That's the whole Old Testament. That means Genesis. That means Leviticus. That means Exodus and Joshua and Samuel and the kings and the prophets. And he says, those scriptures were pointing to me. They were about me. So you're left to conclude either the Bible is full of irreconcilable contradictions where you have two saviors and two creators and uh, two lords and two gods and all the rest, or Jesus is somehow the God of the Bible made flesh. All of God's titles and attributes are given to him. All of those statements, very clear that there's only one Savior, that there's only one God. God even says, I did this by myself. There is no other. And then all of a sudden, you have Jesus saying, having the same things attributed to him. So why does this matter? We have a God, a holy God, who gives us his holy law, And that is something we gaze into and we say, there's no way I can keep that. So what God does is He comes down to be the law keeper that we need. But not only that, He suffers. He suffers in such a way, not just at the crucifixion, but His entire life. He knows what it's like to be rejected. This is not a God off in some other universe who is vaguely interested in the things going on here on earth. He has entered in and He has suffered. He was mistreated and abused and rejected and spit upon. He had His heart broken. He had His disciples betray Him. He weeps. With those who weep, he knows what it's like to feel and experience loss as a person. 
Like this God has entered into our humanity to share in our sufferings. And what God has done to accomplish all that was required for us to become His children by enduring the humiliation and crucifixion. And it just blows your mind that this is the eternal God who created all things. How can it be? Now, does that sound like a God who is worthy of your worship? Does that sound like a God you can draw near to in prayer as the psalmist cries out, Oh God, save me! The water's up to my neck! And have a God who understands? Yes and amen. Oh Lord, You are so good. Thank You. Thank You that You have not just made some kind of arrangement where we can pay for our own sins in a place of suffering like purgatory or somehow pay for our own sins by strict obedience to the law. But Lord, that You have come and not only provided a way, but that You completely saved to the uttermost. And help us, Lord, to cling to You by faith That our faith would be in You not only to receive salvation, Lord, but that we would cling to You in our times of trouble. That we would relate to You as a God who, who, who understands, who knows, who has endured suffering. And that we would draw near to You often because of those things. Oh God, You are great and You are to be praised. May You bless Your church at this time. May You bless those who are going through many trials and tribulations. This world is full of dangers, toils, and snares, as the hymn reminds us. And yet, Lord, You will bring us through them all. And we worship You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.